Welcome back to another podcast with Brittany and Marie, the property management show. Today we are interviewing Kathleen Richards of PM Made Easy, formerly Landlord Source, and the property management coach. Today, she will talk to us about risk management mistakes within the property management industry. And so if that is something that you haven't really thought about in your business, or this is something you haven't thought about in a while, make sure you keep watching. This episode is sponsored by PM Growth Summit. It is the annual conference for growth-minded property managers. Our 2020 conference is brought to you by 4.5 Property Management Marketing Agency in partnership with Seacoast Commerce Bank, the preferred bank for property management trust accounts. The next PM Grow Summit will be in Austin, Texas from May 27 to 29, 2020. Go to pmgrowsummit.com to register. Kathleen, thank you so much for being our guest today on our podcast. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. So to start off the topic of, you know, risk management mistakes related to property management, can you give us um, an idea of what risk management is and why it's even relevant in property management? Okay, sure. So, um, Having been a broker for 13 years of a property management company, um, you learn that there's risk all the time. And so one of the things I'm really proud of is in the entire time that I owned my company, I never had a lawsuit. I was never sued. And so I truly believe that goes to the point of really making sure that you're covering all your bases with risk management. And and so basically in the property management realm, what that means is, especially in California, but I think it's happening more and more across the United States, the field of property management is very litigious. And so what risk management means is just that. How are you managing the risk, not only for managing the properties that you represent on behalf of your owners, but there's risks associated with tenants, with vendors, and then just as a business owner, you have risks associated with your accounting, with employees, with how you do business. And so it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about. And I know when I do coaching, a lot of people will come to me saying, I want to start a property management company. And they're focused on all the things they need to do to set up the infrastructure. It never occurs to them to even think about the different risks involved and how are you going to manage that? How are you going to set up policies and procedures and things in place to protect you or try to mitigate that risk as much as possible? That's so funny that you mentioned that too, that kind of the first thing people go to is, it's kind of the end. They go to the end before getting started. We have people reach out to us all the time being like, I want to start a property management company. Let's market. And we're like, oh, do you have policies and procedures in place? Do you have the operations in place? And they'll say, oh no, that's a really good idea. Or um, no, I figured I could market first and grow the business first. And usually in that situation, we say, hey, we'd love to help you, but... We then usually pass them pass them your information right. because 
you're the go-to person for that type of stuff. Which reminds me, we actually kind of skipped ahead and didn't have you give us kind of like an update of what you're doing right now because you've been on the show before. You um, mentioned, yeah, you mentioned um, talking about risks that you have been yes. in property management for a while. So yes, you did start in property management, but you've grown into something different now. So just give us a quick update on what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I sold my property management company in 2017 and um right before i sold that um probably about two years before that i went back to school and became a certified business coach so i went to school for a year took all sorts of classes got my coaching hours underneath me and everything and i launched the property management coach and so now i'm kind of starting the beginning of my fourth year of that and um two years ago I had the opportunity to buy Landlord Source from Gene Storms, who's an industry legend in the property management realm. And she wanted to retire. And she was actually at the point of just shuttering the business. And I'm like, you can't do that. I used all of her products in my property management company over the years. And I knew how amazing they were. And in my coaching business, I also referred a lot of people to the products. So after two years of running Landlord Source, 2019 was my year of, as we say, in property management. Every conference you go to, there's always a topic on rehabbing your business, making over your business. And I felt it was time to make over Landlord Source. It was a company that was started in 2002. And it was just looking a bit dated, but the content, the information is still so relevant and so good. And so for 2019, I went through every single product read line by line, updated, added new content, removed some content, really cleaned everything up and, and brought it into the coming new year and relaunched it with a new name, a new look, everything. So it's now called PM Made Easy, which I think is more relevant because um, every now and then I would get people calling me saying, are your products for landlords or property managers? So I think the name was a little confusing for some people. So now it's launched as PM Made Easy and we recategorize products according to category groups to help people figure out wherever they're at within their company, what fits them and you know, at certain stages. So that's what I'm doing now and um, really enjoying it and both companies kind of work to support and facilitate each other. So you're still coaching. You're doing both side oh, by side. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually just had a coaching call this morning um, from someone wanting to start a company. And I, I work with a lot of people that are looking to start companies. And the interesting thing is, is we were talking a little bit before about that infrastructure, right? So that's where a lot of the PM Made Easy products can really help people get their infrastructure and foundation in place quickly so that they can do what they want to do, which is you know, bring on properties, help owners, you know, do what property management's all about versus spending their time developing all the systems. Um, but it's interesting, that first question that people, when they say, I want to start a property management company, my very first question to them is, um, do you need to be licensed in the state that you're in? And I can't tell you how many people don't know that. And so sometimes people do have to be licensed and they aren't. And I go, well, the first thing you need to do is go get licensed. And once you get licensed, 
come back and see me and then we can take it from there. Just like, you know, with the marketing, when you're kind of finally ready and you've got things together, now we're ready to launch and start doing our marketing and, and going out to meet people. But you can't talk about your business confidently if you don't really have the pieces put together right. at the ground level. I mean, that's a big risk right there, starting a business without a license without, when you're required yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. Talking about risk, exactly. man. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And so what are um, the most common risks that property managers face, you know, from the point of view of um, servicing property owners um, and just like becoming business people in the property management industry? I'd say that the biggest risks um, when you're a fiduciary representing someone else's properties is um, one, you need to make sure to screen your owners just like you would your tenants and make sure that you have a quality owner okay there are people that come to us and want to hire us as property managers so that they can be at arm's length they think that means then they're not going to be responsible for habitability issues maintenance on the property um oftentimes people don't think about um that owner has used certain vendors on their property forever because they pay them 10 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour. And then when they come to property management and I say, I'm sorry, I can't use your vendors. None of them are licensed. And they're like, but I've used them forever. And I'm like, well, that's the risk you're taking on. It's not a risk I'm willing to take on because um, I have been a expert witness in a couple court cases. And one was a situation where um, the tenant went to the owner and said, hey, the tree needs to be trimmed in the yard. I have a friend that can do it. And the owner was like, okay, great. And this friend climbed up in the tree and fell out of the tree and shattered his hip and had major medical expenses and of course did not have any medical insurance. And guess what? The owner of this property was a real estate broker and should have known better. And so I ended up representing the attorney that was representing the injured party. And um, yeah, as a broker, as a, you know, whether you own properties or not, we have a fiduciary responsibility and absolutely that person should have known and all property managers, that's, you need to make sure that you are working with vendors that have insurance in case they get hurt on the property. Because I'm sure that person really didn't want to sue the owner, but they had no choice. They had all these medical bills. They didn't have insurance. So when a lawsuit happens and attorneys get involved, it's not just the owner that they're going to go after. They're going to go after the property manager as well right and so that's why it's really really important and, and over the years you know I'd, another story i had was um we live in santa cruz i my business is in santa cruz and um marijuana people have done that for years here long before it was legal in the state and the city kind of turned a blind eye to it and the medical marijuana side of things was approved but we had a tenant that was we discovered was growing it in the backyard in a greenhouse when we went to do a property inspection and um i mentioned it to the owner and the owner didn't really have a problem with it um he was a retired attorney himself and he says well you know they're allowed to grow so many plants for me it at the time and still is true even though it may be legal in california it's still not legal federally so my concern was and this is where i feel my fiduciary responsibility to that owner is to educate that owner of all the what if scenarios 
So the reason I concern about this situation is that there were small children living in the home. So I was freaked out over the fact of what about a home invasion? What if something happened during that home invasion and the children got hurt? Then even though the tenant could say, well, you knew that we were growing it, they could sue and say, you should have anticipated that this could have happened. So I always tell people with risk management, you think of if you were standing in front of a judge, what would a judge say? And there is no defense to say, I didn't know. Because the judge is going to say, as a professional, you should have known. You are responsible. So I ended up closing out that account with the owner because I was not willing to take on that added risk, even though my attorney said I was okay. I just couldn't sleep at night. If, if God forbid something horrible happened, that would be with me forever. And it wasn't worth the risk for the measly 200 bucks a month I collect in property management fees, right? So the owner was okay with it. I just handed it back to the owner and said, you know, I think you can manage it yourself. You got a good tenant. They've been there a long time. I just did not want that added risk. That's for every property manager to decide. But when it comes to vendors or it comes to tenants, there's all kinds of risks there, right? And you just always have to think about what are the potential consequences to me? And then you weigh that risk, right? Like, how often might this really happen? Or, and, and then as you hear of other people having lawsuits, then you're like, holy cow, okay, maybe I wanna reevaluate that. So those are some potential things. The other thing that people don't think about um, when it comes to risk, aside from kind of the business um, tenant vendor issues, is you running a business. So accounting, okay? Most of the people I coach starting businesses are not comfortable with accounting. So I typically tell them then you need to get a bookkeeper to come in and do your accounting for you or I give them virtual assistants that specialize in accounting and know all the different property management software. And I tell them you as the broker, you still need to oversee everything, but that's the checks and balances. You don't wanna have one person doing everything for you because that opens you up to embezzlement, to all kinds of things happening. So I share with people all the different checks and balances I had in my company to protect myself, right? And it also keeps your, your employees from feeling compromised if they know that there's checks and balances too, <laughs> right? Um, so from the accounting side, that's something people don't think about. And then on a larger scale, employees. When you run a business, there's always going to be potential for risk with employees. And I had an employee once that I um, was a very good property manager. Um, it had some things, you know, happen in, in their life that was kind of traumatic. And um, we had staff meetings every week. Well, I, everybody kind of sits in their same seats, right? People always gravitate to their same positions, right? And this one time I actually changed it up and I sat next to this employee instead of at the end and I smelled alcohol and it was 8 30 in the morning wow. and so I immediately after the meeting was over um, went and asked um, other employees that had normally sat next to this person had you noticed anything and then they kind of fessed up and so I was a little upset that they didn't come and tell me but they didn't you know they were kind of protecting their coworker. 
And so I immediately called the coworker in and just confronted them and said, according to our policies and procedures, I can't have you coming in drinking because of the, the liability to me, this person's out showing properties. Mm -hmm. What if they get in an auto accident and now they, you know, have to do a breathalyzer and it turns out that they're drunk, they're over the limit. I could be held liable because they're traveling on my company time. Or for me as the company, right? So those sort of things that happen, right? Um, ultimately, I know another property manager that had a um, realtor that um, was doing property management for them and their policy and procedure, and this was true in mine as well, that we did not rent to any of our vendors and none of our employees, okay? Well, this property manager ended up renting a home to himself and his family that he represented and then just stopped paying rent. Oh boy. And now the employer had to evict. And this, this guy ended up suing her for so many through the DRE and reported to the EDD. And, and so she had two years of going in and out of court with this deadbeat bad realtor, right, that she'd hired, right? And um, I said, why don't you just settle it? And she says, no. She says, if I'm going to spend money, I'm going to sue him. I'm, you know, she wasn't going to settle. <laughs> and I don't blame her. But, you know, oftentimes what people do is settle, right? Um, the other area that's of huge, huge concern if you're a broker is with your employees, do they really understand fair housing? So anytime I hired a new employee, they weren't even allowed to answer the phone. I had scripts. I always hired at the front desk first and promoted up from there. So they had scripts so that they could get comfortable with what they could say. They're, I didn't even allow them on the phones for like the first week of employment. First day in the office, they had to read our policy and procedure manual and sign off on it. They had to read a fair housing booklet that I had. And then they had to read an employee manual and sign off on it. And then through training after about a week, um, we would do a fair housing quiz with them. And within the first, hopefully within the first month, we tried to send them to an actual fair housing class. Okay. That's cool. And the reason why fair housing is so scary, <laughs> I mean, really scary in the property management industry. And I'm sure you've had other guests and other topics, the whole service animal thing right? And discrimination claims and just a whole plethora of things that can come at you under fair housing. And I will share with you two examples that I know of personally. Um, one property management company um, did not have a front desk reception. The way they structured their company was the property managers answered the phone. Mm -hmm. That may sound great, right? And, but the flaw with that is you don't, with fair housing, the whole point is consistency, 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 saying the same thing all the time, right? Yeah. So what happened in this situation was there was a tester and testers are out there and they call property management companies all the time, testing to see. And typically they are attorneys that represent themselves as um, representing um, tenant issues or lobbying on behalf of tenants. Well, how do attorneys make money? They sue, right? And then they win their cases and that's how they make money. There may never have been a complaint by a prospect or a tenant or an owner or anything, but that's how they make money. So, and, and so anyways, this, there was a tester 
and the tester called the office and one property manager picked up the phone and answered it and answered all their questions about properties they had available and blah, 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 and spent a lot of time with them on the phone. Hung up. This tester called back, again, same person, called back, and this time they posed with, um, in this situation, it was an Indian accent. And this is in Silicon Valley area, right? And so now it was a different property manager that picked up the phone, and maybe they were really busy and heading out to an appointment, and so they told the person, please go to the website and review and so forth, and we'd be happy, whatever it was. Well, right there, two different responses. Lawsuit was filed that you discriminated against us because this person had an accent. You just pushed them off to the website. First person you thought was a Caucasian, and you spent a lot of time with them on the phone. Could have been the furthest thing from the truth, but that's not what mattered. Ultimately, the broker settled out of court with their E&O insurance, and it cost them a ton of money. Okay. And then guess what? Now they have a receptionist, front desk person that always answers the phone, answers it the same way, you know what I mean? So was there a fair housing violation? No, it was just people doing business, right? Yet these attorneys are going to make money and do testing. So that was one situation. An extreme situation. I know another property manager that was in my property management chapter and it came down to um, a property that was available for rent and people had called saying, um, do you accept, we'll just say 10 people in this property? And the property management office said, well, no, that's too many people for this property. And so maybe the property was a two bedroom house, right? And according to fair housing guidelines, there's no laws, but the guidelines are two plus one. So in a two bedroom house, that would be five people, two people per bedroom plus one sleeping on the couch, right? So that'd be five people in a two bedroom. So when someone says to you, we have 10 people, is that too many? You would say, well, according to the guidelines, that's too many. Oh my God. They came into the office, asked the same question, and the staff said, oh, I'm sorry, that would be too many people. She was hit with a huge fair housing discrimination lawsuit, and ultimately, you know, they were throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at her, so now she's got to get an attorney to represent her and everything. In the end, it forced her, they forced her to close her business down after 35 years in the community. She shut her business down, and had to pay fines, which were settled at a lower amount. Um, fortunately, another property manager in the area was able to buy some of her business accounts. So at least she got something. Um, and her employees ended up going to work for this other property manager. But it forced her into shutting down her business. And the reality is, even though everything was settled out, now she has that on her record at the Department of Real Estate that she had a claim. Guess what? Even though it was settled, everything's been corrected. Maybe her employees have been retrained on how to handle things, which is you never say when someone says to you, there's 10 of us, is that too many? You don't say yes, no. You say, well, you're more than welcome to come view the property. You never, but is that too many? You're more than welcome to come view that. You just sound like a stupid parrot, right? Mm -hmm. And so they come see it and you would probably, if, if they weren't qualified, you would find, you know, obviously they have to meet qualifications, right? But it's very, very tricky. 
Same thing with that service animal thing, right? Um, I had somebody approach me once outside of the DMV in a truck. He had a big pit bull in the back of his truck and the pit bull was actually quite sweet, but it was a huge dog. And the guy he was a little scary looking and he was very aggressive and was in my face saying, would you rent to me with my, my service animal? And he kept pointing to his pit bull, would you rent to me? And I just said, well, yes, of course, if you met our qualifications, because it's never about the animal, right? Yeah. And so I didn't even address the animal. But with my dog, would you rent to me? I go, of course, if you were qualified. And, I, and he says, well, I called your office. And I said, well, so now I'm thinking this is a tester, right? Oh. <laughs> I'm getting a little nervous. And um, I said, well, what did my staff say? And he said, well, your staff said the same thing. If I was qualified, I go, absolutely. So as soon as the guy moved on, I called my office immediately and said, did you get a phone call from a guy asking about, would you rent to him with a pit bull? And they said, oh yeah, we just got off the phone with him. I go, what'd you guys say? And they said, we just told him if you were qualified, of course, we'd rent to you. <laughs> so wow. training my staff and having yes. them go every year for fair housing classes, which is, you know, scares the bejesus out of you when you hear these real life situations that happen to people, but it keeps you sharp, right? Um, and just training my employees all the time of what you can say and what you can't say, right? And making sure that everybody knows. And, you know, in our office, kind of the biggest compliment was when people would get frustrated and say, you guys sound like a robot. <laughs> well, we don't mean to sound like a robot, but that's true. That's what fair housing dictates, that we have to treat everybody the same. So I'm sorry you don't like my answer, but that's the answer. I'm not going to give you a different answer to that question, right? And so that's where it's really, really important. If you're going to have a business, you really need to understand what the different you know, pitfalls are, what the different landmines are, what are the things that like testers are going to ask of you? Like I know over the years, my company had testers. I could tell by just the questions that they were asking when they would call. Right. Um, but pointed. <laughs> yes. And I take it, you know, so, you know, so you feel more confident in how to respond. Right. And knock on wood, I'm very proud to say I was never sued in all the years. And, and part of it too comes down to having a conversation. I had one fellow come in and apply to us once and we didn't even take his money. We gave it back to him because he didn't even eat, meet the minimum income. And he called kind of complaining and he felt that we discriminated against him because of his nationality. And so I had him come in the office and I sat down with him and I explained to him and English wasn't his first language. So we kind of went slow through things and really explained to him, how we screen, here's our criteria, okay? And your income needs to be three times the rent. And so this is what your income is, and this is what the rent is. And I did the math with him, you know, not looking down, but just kind of very kind and, and compassionately how we came to that decision. And I said, so you can see you don't make three times. So I said, that's why you didn't get this property and why I gave you the money back. I didn't want to run your credit when right at the, the get-go, you don't make the income. And I said, so let's do the reverse. Let's figure out what can you afford. So then I took time and spent with him based upon your income. This is what you can afford to pay. 
And so I said, you, and at the time, I think it was like 850, 900. And so I said, so what you're looking at is you're probably going to be renting a room in someone's house or a little granny unit or a studio. So these are places to look to try to find those, right? And so at the end, he left feeling, thank you so much for helping me figure this out. Yet when he came in, he was like threatening a discrimination lawsuit. Right. But it was helping him understand what the criteria is. And that's where the important thing is you've got to have your rental criteria. Right. That is your policies and procedures. And then you have your policies and procedures for the office of how you handle situations when people come in and complain, whether it's a tenant or a vendor or anybody. Somebody comes to a showing and they feel like you disrespected them or you didn't do something right. Okay, you have your incident report that you fill out and you meet with them and so forth. So you, you have to kind of document the whole process, not only to protect yourself, but again, if you end up in front of a judge, can you show this is what we did? This is how we handled it. And a lot of times it's a way for you to then show the person, this is our policy. This is what we do with everybody, right? So they feel like they're not being picked on, right? Moving is really stressful. And if you're going around to place after place and everybody's saying no, 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 now you start getting a little pissed off because you don't understand why people are saying no, 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 no. Right. So if, if you're able to explain to people and show them the process, then that's going to mitigate a potential lawsuit. Right. And you're educating that person about how to move forward and, and what's working and, you know, vendors, why you need to have the insurance from them. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, they may say, well, I've been doing business for 20 years. No one's ever asked me for it. I understand that, but this is why we ask for it. And if that's not something you're willing to do, then unfortunately we're not going to be able to use you at our company. And there were many times when I said that to vendors because the insurance was expensive and they didn't have the wherewithal to pay for the insurance. Okay, that's fine. And we just move on and we find someone else that we can work with. Yeah. So that kind of leads us into like, you mentioned it a second ago, mitigating, 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 mitigating risks. Um, what are some other ways to mitigate risks? Like what's like a framework that you could use as you're managing the risks? Right. So the very first thing you're going to do is you want to identify what the risk is going to be. So for a property manager, for example, you go out to meet a new client, you go to the property, Hopefully, you're walking around doing an assessment of the property of, you know, is the cracked driveway, trip and fall risk, right? Um, are the plants too high? The shrub is so high that if somebody came home from work, a predator could be hiding on the other side of that shrub and attack them, right? Maybe the shrub should be trimmed down lower. Um, you know, as you're going through your property, are there carbon monoxide detectors, right? So, you as a professional are looking for certain things on that property, right? That could be a risk. And then you're presenting it to that potential new owner saying, these are things I saw about your property that we would want to fix, make sure that we take care of. These are risks to you, right? And you explain that. That's how you educate your clients as to the value that you bring to the table. You don't just collect the rent, right? So yeah, you want to identify what those risks are going to be. Okay. So in every aspect of your business, you want to identify the risks. Okay. And then the second thing you're going to do is you're then going to kind of, you know, analyze is, is this risk 
How big is this risk? How often is this risk really going to happen? Right? And then, you know, that's where you're going to determine, okay, if it came up, I have my E&O insurance, right? Um, so sometimes where that comes up with people is, you know, most property management companies require their owners to carry a certain level of liability insurance. And an owner may say, well, I don't want to get a half a million dollar policy. Can I just get a hundred thousand? Okay, maybe if your policy is no, <laughs> we want you to have more. Or what owners typically push back on is we always say we want to be added on as additional insured. Insurance companies don't want that. And the owner's like, why do I have to add you on as additional insured? So then you have to explain to them why you want to do that, okay? And if that owner is adamant, well, I'm not going to add you, then you have to decide, do you want to take that owner or not? What are the chances that are that you might get sued? Right? And so that's where you kind of weigh the risk. Okay. And that's what insurance companies do. You know, that's how they determine what the rates are that they're going to charge you for. Right? So, so you want to analyze how much of a risk is this really? Then you're going to kind of maybe evaluate what that risk is. Okay. And, and determine this is the plan of action. This is what we're going to do moving forward. This is how we're going to handle it. So with employees or any kind of complaints, you're going to have an incident report. You're going to fill out what the incident was, when it happened, blah, blah, blah. Then how you handled it, how you remedied it. Is it now closed? Is it still pending? And that goes in there. So same thing with employees. If you have an employee issue, and you get to the point you want to make sure that you document that you've had a phone call with that employee. Is the employee on probation? Are they doing certain action plans, right? Has it been resolved? Okay, so that if you ever got sued or EDD contacts you, you open up the personnel file and they can see right there that you've handled everything, right? Um, so you need to have a process in place. Um, and then I would say annually, at least annually, you want to go through and review your, your risk management system or whatever you set up for your company. Okay. So going through and saying, do I need to add anything new to my policies and procedures? Okay. Do I need to, if you have employees that have been with you for a while, maybe you require them in addition to every year taking a fair housing class that they need to once a year go through and read the policy and procedure manual again and sign off that, you know, cause you forget what's in there. Just like tenants forget what's in their lease. Right. And especially if someone's been with you a long time, they read it once, what, nine years ago. And hopefully if you're a good business owner, you will have updated that document. It's a living document. Hopefully it's not the same document they signed nine years ago. Right. So maybe that's part of your annual thing that people have to review and look at that. Just like when you have um, a new owner or owners that have been with you for a while. I know I went through and I had, because I bought a business initially, I had owners that have been with the prior company 20 years and they had their original property management agreement, which was one piece of paper. And then they had all these management agreement renewals, 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 renewals for all these years. So I went through and did all new management agreements with all my owners to bring them up and get them on the same page, to have that conversation of expectations, right? Um, if 
a property management company does preventative maintenance checks. You want to be doing that every year. Or if your owners don't want you to do it, you better get them to sign an opt-out form saying, I don't want that done. So that when the place burns down because of something, they can't come back to you and say, well, why didn't you fix it? Well, I have five years of you opting out that you did not want us to go in and do a preventative maintenance check. Okay, so again, it's, it's always thinking about whenever you're doing something, what's the outcome that you want, right? And then what steps are you going to put in place to either change that behavior or make sure that you are covering those bases in case you end up in front of a judge, right? Did you take pictures of the property at the time you took on that property? right? So the tenant was already in that property. You, the owner changed management companies. You didn't get move-in photos from when the tenants moved in. So you better be taking move-in photos at the time you take that property on because when they go to move out, the tenants are going to be saying to you, if you didn't, well, that hole in the wall was like that when I moved in and the owner saying, no, it wasn't. So now you're getting the owner suing you for not managing their property properly and for, you know, now it's going to cost $10,000 to repair the damages and the owner's suing you. And now the tenant's suing you saying you withheld all my security deposit, right? And nobody can prove anything. <laughs> so, you know, the best way to protect yourself is your company policy is when you take on a new property, you go do a move-in inspection within the first five days or even before you take on that property to make sure you want to take it on, right? And you take photos and you do a full move-in report and all of that, right? So that's how you protect yourself. It's how you protect the owner. It's how you protect the tenant so they get their security deposit money back, right? So it's extra steps. And I think sometimes for property managers that maybe it's themselves and an assistant or even if they're getting bigger, Okay. Um, and they're trying to save money. Um, they don't think of, oh, that's an extra step I don't need to do. Okay. Again, now you're going to be assessing that risk. You know, if you don't want to do it, okay, how often might you get sued? And that's something that you're going to have to balance out. Well, I've been doing property management for five years and I've never been sued. Yeah, it could happen, but that's a lot of time for my staff to go through and do that with every new property okay, you may choose to not do that, right? Somebody else, like me, I'm a worry wart. I wouldn't even think of not taking on a property without doing that, right? So it's gonna be an individual thing, but it all comes down to if you wanna really be successful. I mean, the fines are severe. I mean, are really severe. And the potential of losing your business, I mean, is it really worth it, right? So that's what you have to assess. and. If you're a small company, some of the risks that you have to think about when you're really small starting out is more of your operational risks, like the accounting side of things, the employee, are you just setting things up properly, right? Do you have your checklist, your general processes? When you get to be a bigger company, you know, 500, 1,000 doors or whatever, um, and or you've been around a really, really long time, the risk that you have there is that you become complacent. This is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. We've been around 20 years. We've never yeah. been sued, right? Well, just because you haven't been sued 
doesn't mean that it's not knocking at your door, right? Yeah, it's funny. So, the image that comes to mind is like, hey, your check engine light is on. You're like, it's been on for the yeah. past six months and it's driving fine. And you're like, that makes it worse. <laughs> Perfect example. Yeah, you, you kind of become complacent. So like people that what I would term more the mom and pops that maybe been in business for a really long time, they're getting close to maybe retirement or whatever, Maybe they're not taking their housing classes too much anymore. They're just kind of doing what they've always been doing. They're at risk because they're not aware of how tenants really know all their rights. They're not aware of the fact that, you know, you need to make sure that at least your lease and, and things are up to date. I mean, I know clients that came to me that changed management companies and they showed me, for example, the um, lease that they had with the tenant and I was appalled. It was like a lease from the seventies. It had verbiage in there that is now illegal. Mm. It, it was, I mean, they were not protecting the, they just kept photocopying that same old lease that they'd been using forever. Right. So um, complacency with people who've been around a long time. And then I think as companies get bigger and bigger and you hire more employees, the, the thing that you have to be on the watch out for there is because as you get bigger, what does that mean? You're hiring people, right? And the fact that you're not doing it anymore, you're now having to trust that employees are saying the right things and are doing the right things and are following your systems and are doing the checklist and actually take the photos at the movie. You know, there's, there's a lot of training and education there but there's a lot of trust on the part of the, the broker to make sure that people are following these. And so you've got to set in place a system of accountability so that your teams are at least maybe internally, you're doing an audit once a year, or as those files close before they kind of get filed away, the broker, people don't realize this, but the broker is supposed to be reviewing every single file and signing off on it. I can tell you most property management companies don't do that. Okay. Even, even though you have a licensed agent that sign can sign everything, there is a line on those forms for the broker. Yeah. So the broker is ultimately responsible. And so they should be reviewing or the broker of records should be reviewing to make sure these files are complete. Everything's in there. This got signed. The lead booklet was given to the tenant. What if that child's chewing on the paint and now gets lead poisoning and the tenant can say, I was never given the lead booklet. Oh my God, lawsuit galore. Not to mention enough that it probably could shut down your business, right? So in the time people get busy and go, I, for I forgot to give it to them. Well, I'm so you can't forget, right? That's why we have the boxes on the lease that says, you know, lead booklet. Did you check that? You know, so that's probably the the biggest blind side thing i think big companies have is as you get bigger and bigger and bigger how do you ensure that everybody is still kind of follow say, following your policies and your procedures and how you want to have things done so that the company's not at risk yeah and what's interesting is you're talking about accountability and right now in the property management industry you know almost everyone is trying to get on eos you know right hey, or you some know, some type of some type of like you know organizational structure yeah mm -hmm. exactly and so in light of that it, it sounds to me correct me if i'm wrong 
the ultimate person who's accountable for ensuring that risk management is like healthy or present in the company is the broker owner. Is that correct? It's the broker. Yeah. Because it's the broker, broker owner. If, if, if it's, you know, a small business, it tends to be the same person. When companies get bigger, typically you have an owner, okay, who may also be a broker, but there's typically a broker of record. And it may not be the same person who owns the company. And the broker of record is overseeing all the operations. That's who's listed with the Department of Real Estate as the contact person for that company. So in that situation, if there's going to be a lawsuit, yes, that broker of record is going to get sued as well as the owner, as well as the individual property manager. If it's an accounting issue, they're going to sue. They're going to wrap into that the bookkeeper, right? Because that's what attorneys do. They go after everybody. And, and one thing um, I just flashed on too is if you are a corporation, an LLC, a subchapter S, okay? I was anal about this, but I can tell you there's a lot of companies that um, they get incorporated, they have their minutes, um, they do their annual tax filing, but they don't do the minutes. They don't, you have to, there's certain procedures that you must do when you're a corporation. And yes, it's a pain in the butt, but somebody needs to do it. And typically it's going to be the broker, the owner, or the broker of record or, or someone like that, um, or the operations manager or something like that. You have to do your, your quarterly and year end minutes and you put them in the binder and then you file a report. Okay, that goes with your taxes. If you do not do those minutes and say you got audited and they open it up and you haven't done minutes for three years, the whole reason why people form a corporation is to put up a wall for protection for lawsuits, right? So if you are a broker and you have a whole bunch of personal rentals that you own, right? And you maybe have your personal rentals over in your family trust or something like that. And now you have your business and you've incorporated your business or it's an LLC. You make that to try to, if you get sued, all that can get taken is what's in the business. Mm -hmm. They can't come after you personally, right? That's why people do these things. If you do not do your minutes, then there's something called piercing the veil. And what that means is that now they can prove you've not kept up your minutes. You have not followed the rules of a corporation and now they can go after everything, your personal assets, everything. And so that's where, and I know I've seen it, you know, I've been in situations with people where we're sitting there signing legal documents. I'm like, don't forget, I will do my year end minutes for the final year. And now you need to make sure to start doing minutes. And the person's like, really, I need to be doing those. And the attorney's like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> so I mentioned that because these are people that are business owners that have a lot of things going. They have their attorney set this up and all of that. And they feel like they're covered yet. They have not assigned to somebody if they don't want to do it themselves, mm -hmm. the responsibility of doing quarterly and annual minutes. I mean, that's really important. That's, that's the operational paperwork that, if a judge is going to look at your company, they're going to want to see your profits, your losses, all the bank stuff, but then they're also going to want to see this. So anytime I hired somebody or somebody left the company or we got a bank loan to buy the building, anything that went on, 
I documented it in the minutes. And, and I'm, I was small, so when you're small and you're like a sole proprietor corporation, you wear the hat of every position. So it was kind of funny. I'd be signing as president, I'd be signing as secretary, I'd be signing as treasurer, and here's all of our accounting for the quarter, right? But the reality is if somebody came and opened that up, they're gonna wanna see all that. If you get audited, guess what? The, the DRE is going to want to see all that too, that you've got all this stuff in place. These things are important. People think they're not important, but they really are important. I mean, come on, this is your livelihood we're talking here, right? So and if you don't want that kind of responsibility, then you go work for a property manager or you go work for a big company so that when things aren't going right, you give your two week notice and you move on to something else. When you decide to become an entrepreneur or a business owner, okay, you also decide to take on that responsibility, right? It's like you get married. It's easy to get married. It's not so easy to get divorced, right? And now everything's all, you can't just give your two-week notice and I'm done. This isn't working for me. No, you figure out a way to make it work. You find a way to solve the problem. You know, you do what you need to do. The same is true with the business. So it's, People need to look at it seriously. And, you know, one other thing is early in my career, I worked for venture capital firms and hedge funds and so forth. And I'd worked for a really, really big hedge fund and, and not hedge fund. They were a um, kind of a venture capital firm. But what they did was they went in and bought companies that were struggling, poor performers, and they would buy them and then they would revamp. The companies, they put all these policies and procedures in place or whatever, and then they would then sell the company or put it back up on the stock exchange or whatever. So when I worked for this company, um, I remember, I didn't really know what they did. They had a huge research department, of course, because they're researching companies to possibly buy and acquire. And I remember going down the hall and there was this office and there was this, you know, everybody wore their three piece suits and all that sort of stuff. And it was up on Sand Hill Road in Menlo Park. And, and so there was this fellow and his title was uh, vice president of risk management. And I'll never forget this because I was in my early twenties and I went in and I said, risk management. Tell me about like, what do you do? What, what is risk management, right? You know, when you're 20, auto insurance is about the only insurance you have, right? Because yeah. you're still on your parents' medical. Yeah. So you know nothing about risk or it just was a term I didn't understand. And so I remember asking, well, what's risk management? And he went through and explained the whole process of how they, they seek out companies that have been sued or um, are struggling or failing or whatever. And then they evaluate what's the risk to them of acquiring it. How much is it going to take them to get this company turned around? And so I remember thinking, wow, I mean, this is high level. We're talking people that are, you know, kind of living in a whole different stratosphere and dealing with monies at a whole different level. They had a whole department just for risk management. They had a VP of risk management. So even when we have our little companies, I always treated my company like it was a Fortune 500 company, right? And we need to be thinking about risk. If the big guys are doing it, we need to be doing it. And there's even a greater risk the smaller you are because there's the feeling that 
you're ripe for plucking because they're not going to have systems in place. They're not going to have this in place. They're not going to have that. And I think that protected me a lot because when tenants would threaten a lawsuit on me, I was really confident. Here's the section of your lease that says this. Here's our policy that says that. Per my, you know what I mean? I was confident. I had all the info there. I educated them. And then they would kind of back down. Same thing with an owner. Same thing if a vendor, you know, so if you've got your stuff there, you can feel confident that this is boom, right? And now you're not scared that, oh my God, I'm going to get sued. And now you're making more mistakes, right? Trying to figure out what to do is too, is, is hindsight when you're in that position. So you want to be coming from a position of strength and confidence where you can just say, and you know, you can sleep at night, right? Mm -hmm. That you've got all your bases covered and, and a big part of risk management Two is making sure that all the documents that you're using, you know, I know some people will hire an attorney to create their lease initially. And then they keep using that same lease for 10 years because they're too cheap because it costs them so much money to have the attorney redo it every single year, right? So that's why I tell people, use the one from your department of real estate. They have attorneys on board and they're constantly changing and updating the lease. Like anytime I go in and do my lease, I could tell right away, oh my God, they added something new, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not an attorney. So I trust that they're going to put all that stuff in there, right? Um, you need to just make sure that you're using things that are legal. You're staying up on things. You have the appropriate insurance. You got to have your E&O insurance. You got to have liability insurance. Um, I even had a bond on my bookkeeper for the amount of money that we had in our bank accounts, just in case something went awry, right? Never did. The bond was dirt cheap, right? Um, I had cybersecurity insurance in case somebody hacked our systems. I had a writer added onto my E&O insurance because not all E&O insurance includes it at a fair housing writer. So if somebody came saying, you discriminated against me, based upon fair housing, I had a writer to cover for that, right? Um, I had all different, you know, insurances for my vehicles, for my building. Um, I wouldn't work with any vendors that didn't have current insurance. And every year we collected their current insurance from them, right? All of my tenants, I required them to have renter's insurance, right? So there was a lot of insurance that I paid out every year. For my little company, I think it was like $30,000 a year alone in insurance, all the different insurances. But guess what? It allowed me to sleep comfortably at night. If something came up, I could call them and say, hey, I have this situation. What do we need to do? Right? So I also look at it as part of if you are going to hang your shingle and say that you're a business, then act like a business. Yeah. Right? And that's part of being in business. Right? And yes, it's a cost. And you have to learn to maybe set aside some of that money in your little insurance account. Like you'd have a Christmas account for your personal budget. You have to have accounts for your business too, of where you're going to make your investments. And part of that for me was education. Every year my employees got education on stuff. That was huge because I couldn't be there all the time. I couldn't be overseeing things all the time. And even then I had one employee, God love her, that when somebody would call on the phone inquiring about a property, um, she would say things like, oh, 
oh, is that a Portuguese name? Oh, oh boy. Oh, are the kids. What are their, and she's just like a grandma type. She's trying to build rapport and be nice. And I'd be running out of my office, arms flailing, going, oh, my God, no. no, no, no. And, Hang up the phone. And I would look at her and go, really? I send you to fair housing every year. What do you not understand? You can't say that, right? Um, I finally had to remove this person from the phone. I just could not have them answering the phone because it scared me too much, right? Um, and I understood where they were coming from. They were just trying to be personable, but you, you can't, you know, you have to make sure you're treating everybody the same and you can't ask people questions that are outright illegal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you can say how many occupants are going to be residing in the property. And then if they say to you, oh, well, we've got three kids and, you know, my husband and I or my partner and I, whatever. Okay, great. So when you fill out the application, you know, on the application and on the lease, we'd put the adults, anybody 18 and older, we'd put all the children's names and after them, we'd put minors, right? So we knew, okay, those are children. I don't know how old they are, but they're not 18. As soon as they hit 18, they're considered an adult and their name has to go on the lease as an adult, right? There, I, I see a parallel here. So property managers are always, you know, like shaking their head when owners come to them once the tenants hasn't paid rent in six months, once the property is already, you know, in shambles, you know, once a, a service animal already attacked someone in the property and right. property managers are like, this is why you need us before this happens. So this never happens. It's the same thing when you put up your, you know, when you create a business, you decide, I do not want to work for a property management company. I want to have my own business. It's like, yeah, okay. Now that you have your own business, there are um, resources out there, right? Mm -hmm. That can help you set up the systems in place to manage and mitigate the risks. Mm -hmm. Don't come running to those solutions once you're about to get audited. You're already getting sued because then it's too late. Yeah, it's, it, it is too late. And you are just piling on the level of stress. And it's not like you didn't know that these things could happen. I mean... The property management field is an industry where 99% of what we do is fully anticipated, right? Um, we know that every month we're going to be collecting rent. We know that there's going to be maintenance on the property. We know that there is the potential that somebody could get hurt at the property. We, I mean, you can anticipate all these things and it's so much easier to kind of put in place how you would handle that situation. And the analogy I like to give to people that I think people can kind of then understand and relate to is you think about first responders, right? And people go, oh my God, they go running into the building as everybody's running out, it's on fire, all this sort of stuff. How can they do that? They seem so calm. Well, they can do that because first responders practice all the what if situations all the time. They have their A plan, B plan, C plan. So when something happens, because they practiced it, because they know what they're doing, they just go into action mode. And if plan A doesn't work, they move over to plan B, right? And, and my husband used to say to me all the time, especially when I was starting the business, because he'd been a firefighter um, his career, he goes, I could never do what you do. He says, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I mean, just all these potential things that are out there, right? 
And I said, yeah, but it's just like your career. I have plan A, plan B, plan C. I've, I've practiced stuff. I have my stuff in place. So to the outside person, it looks scary and risky, but it's not. You've trained for it. You've prepared for it. And so the same is true in property management. You put those things in place and your stress levels will go down exponentially. If something does happen, you're not freaking out because you've already kind of played it in your mind. You already know what the process is. Hopefully you have an attorney or two on your ring dial that you can call. I always had attorneys available that I could call them and say, hey, I got this email. Would you mind if I send it to you? Can you look at it? Is this anything I need to be concerned about? How would you recommend I respond to them? This is what I was thinking of doing. Just sometimes, not that they write the letter because now it's legalese. Now the tenant's going to grind in their heel. I just want to know, is my approach legit? You know, Do I have something to worry here? And nine times out of 10, you're able to handle it um, in a way that has a win-win situation. But again, to people on the outside, it's like, oh my God, right? How, how did you know to do that? So it's called being prepared. I think it's the same reason um, why a lot of people know that they should probably do a trust as they get older and they start acquiring things, right? Nobody wants to ever do a trust because it means you got to think about after you're gone, what's going to happen to all your stuff, right? Yeah. And, and people don't want to have that discussion. Yet everybody I know that has ever done it, they go, yeah, for some people, they go, it's really hard to go through and do it. Um, but once they've done it, oh my God, you, everybody says this, huge weight off their shoulders. What a huge relief, right? Because you have prepared, right? Fires. You have your go kit, Northern California here, right? You have your go kit. You, your family knows the evacuation plan. Where are we going to meet up? If we don't have cell coverage, you know, how are we going to get in touch with each other? When those things do happen, you're so much calmer about it. You know what to do than all of a sudden the panic mode, the fight or flight, right? So like you were saying, when you get that DRE audit, that's scary. And now you're in reaction mode right? Um, you get that person that's, you know, the process server serving you a notice that you need to go to court. Oh my God, now your knees are shocking. Now shaking, now you're losing sleep. It would have been so much easier to invest that same amount of time and energy on the front end instead of the back end. But you know, we're humans, that's human nature. So it's not to say that, you know, it's what people do, but all I'm saying is that if, if you are going to be a business owner and you spend, you, people spend a lot of money for their marketing. They spend money setting up their website. They spend money, you know, um, doing their lead generation. They spend time and energy thinking about the services that they're going to offer. Then when they go to start hiring employees, oh my God, you spend a ton of time thinking about what your organizational structure is going to be like. What are the job responsibilities? Who are we going to hire? You spend all this time and energy on those things. You need to spend some time and energy thinking about your risk management, you know, and at a very basic level, do an audit, just go through your office, you know, okay, what insurance do I have? Um, what do we have in place to deal with fair housing issues or complaints? And it can be a basic system. It doesn't need to be super complicated, but you just need to have something in place, one page incident report. <laughs> that all your employees know where to go get so that when somebody's complaining or throwing around, I'm going to get an attorney. Well, let's have a conversation about this, 
Let's make sure that we both understand because I have a feeling that there's a miscommunication about what happened in this situation. Let's have a conversation. And now, you know, the person feels really heard when you're taking notes and you're listening to them and you're figuring out, okay, how can we solve this? How can, most of the time people just want to be heard, that's you know, great. and it's when people feel like they're not being heard. That's when they really grind in their heels. Well said for yeah. sure. So yeah. essentially like the biggest takeaway, prepare yourself, but also if you're not doing it right now, go check out a few things, go audit your office. Yeah. Start, start off maybe with something small if you're not, but if you are not doing risk management or haven't before, you probably should go. Well, and simple things. If you have your network of support, ask your insurance agent, am I missing anything? Okay. Um, if you have an attorney, ask them, are there things that I haven't thought about? Um, you know, I coach, I coach people. Yeah. yeah. I coach people all the time. So people sometimes contact you. And yeah. we find out, you know, these are some things that you need to put in place and then they go away and they do it. But a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know the questions to ask. Right. And that's where just reaching out to your other property management friends. You know, if you know another property manager that that's been around a while, they're very successful. They, they're actively involved in their field. Take them out for lunch and just say, Hey, you know, these are some of the things I'm doing. Am I missing something? Right. Um, and, and so that's how we kind of learn and add to things. Like for years, I thought inside my Eno insurance, it included fair housing. And then I found out somebody said, well, you better ask because they don't all do. And when I asked, I found out mine did not include fair housing. And I had assumed it did. Yeah. Right. So then I added the writer. So then I asked my insurance person every year, because every year you kind of have to renew your Eno insurance. I'd ask them, has anything changed? So that's when... Later, we added the cyber insurance. Yeah, with all the hacking issues. Okay. So things are always going to change. I think a takeaway for people is you need to be curious and ask questions. If you don't ask questions, you're never going to know. And then the other thing is ask yourself, if I were in front of a judge, what would a judge say? Right? They're going to want to see pictures. They're going to want to see documentation. Right? Um, and so just think at a very basic level, you know, what would I want to be showing a judge? Okay. You've got an incident report. You've got, you know, how you handled the, the process, the dates and the times and what you did. Okay. It doesn't need to be extensive, right? Um, you document a phone call that you had. So, you know, I was anal in my company. Anytime you had a phone call with anybody, you would follow that phone call up with an email. So that first story I mentioned in the beginning about the property that had the marijuana growing uh -huh. and the owner had been a retired attorney, he didn't want anything in writing. Oh. He always kept calling me. <laughs> he wanted a phone conversation. Oh my he gosh. <laughs> he actually told me he didn't want what anything in writing. What a sneaky guy. <laughs> so phone conversation is not bad, but at the end of it, I would always follow up with, so great to talk to you, Mr. So-and-so. Per our conversation, I just want to summarize to make sure we're on the same page. And I would put it in there to document, yeah. right? So that, God forbid, if something did happen, mm -hmm. then I had documentation that I'd presented it to the owner. So that way the owner couldn't say, I, to didn't, a, know. I didn't know they were growing pot there. Yeah. They never told me that, mm -hmm. right? If he got sued. Mm -hmm. I documented everything. So when I teach my classes at the college to people that manage their own properties, I always tell them 
a conversation is great because a lot gets lost in emails and everything else, right? The, the tone and your compassion and who you are. Have the conversation, but make sure to always follow up and say, I just want to recap that this is what I agreed to do. This is what you agreed to do. This is what we agreed to do, whatever. So that the tenant or the owner or the vendor, whoever has an opportunity employee to read it over and go, no, no, that's not what I thought we agreed to. And now you can continue that conversation and get to a place where, okay, we are in agreement. So with my owners or tenants, I would send them something and I'd say, if you could respond to this email, just saying, yes, this is, I'm in agreement, right? I wanted that confirmation that we're in agreement. This is good. And guess what? It would go into their file electronically or I'd print it out and it'd go in their paper file. And so that way, again, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that in this day and age, we can't just do business with a handshake anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think those days are long gone. It doesn't mean that you can't do that, but you want to follow up with an email yeah. <laughs> or a contract that outlines yeah. what we're going to provide to you. You set those expectations. If everybody's clear about what their roles are, same thing with employees. Everybody's clear about what they're supposed to be doing and how they're contributing to the whole company, right? less chance for things to go awry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those people that feel like, oh, policies and procedures and all these forms and checklists feel really constraining, you know, it's, it's, it's crimping my creativity and who I am. And I would argue with you that no, it will actually free up more time for you right? Because now you don't have to think about all those, what it, you check the box, people sign it, boom, you're done. It's in the file. Now you've got all this free time to go about building your business, right? So, you know, it is important. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for the wealth of information that you shared with us and to our listeners. So you're so welcome. Yeah. And, you know, risk management is not a sexy topic. No, Um, it's not. Definitely (laughs) not a topic that a lot of people talk about because it's it's messy. Yeah. But that's exactly why we want to talk about it. So to our listeners. It's scary. Yeah, it's it's scary. It can be scary. So to our listeners, we hope that this episode has opened your eyes in the importance of mitigating risks for your company, um, for your employees, just all around. And hopefully... After this podcast, you go and check your systems, use your network to improve your risk management, and hopefully you can sleep better at night. Check out PM Made Easy. Thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks.